Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Edzuri fam. With the dragon slayed, San Giorgio prepares for further adventures. In his path stand lions, cockerels, and even devils. But his first challenger is the Austrian eagle. We soothsayers at Scudetto relive the past battles of Giorgio and his men, and imagine those that lie ahead. All that plus beers and friendly banter in this episode of Scudetto. Hello and welcome to another Scudetto Euro special, this time coming to you live from a Finnish sauna. So today we'll be reviewing the final group stage game against Wales. Plus, we've got a scouting report from our Austrian correspondent, Fabian. And then perhaps we'll have time to round up some of the Serie A transfer news and gossip as well. But first, let us catch up with the squad. So, Kenny, you've made out of the group stages. How does that feel? I don't know, Oscar. Why don't, why don't you tell me? But yes, my, my, you, you're, quite, you're quite correct. My country of birth, Belgium, one of the red-hot favourites for the tournament, are, are through the group stages. The, the country I was raised in, Italy, are uh, one of the red-hot favourites. So um, I'm feeling oh, pretty good about life about, right now. Mate, you want to make it about nationalism. <laughs> I just meant that the squad had made it to the group stages. I, I don't know what else you would be the referring Scudetto to. The squad. The Scudetto yeah. squad. Yeah. yeah, I didn't anyway. actually think we were going to get here, to be honest. Yeah. Anyway, do you have a, a beer to tell us about? I do. Kind of I have pride, a... perhaps something similar. To that. <laughs> Being the the fair sport that I am, I have a London Beer Factory uh, Hazy Days Session IPA, and uh, I haven't opened it yet, but I'll crack it open right now, and I'll let you know how I get on with it. Good stuff. Uh, Boaz, how are you getting on? I'm doing very well, thanks. Good news. Um, you sent us a picture this week of 16 different beers that you'd purchased. Have you uh, decided to crack one this evening? Or So, yeah, a long-time listener of the pod had uh, kind of had a dig at me that I only had IPAs. So immediately being offended, I went out and purchased 16 beers, some of which I'm sure I'm going to hate, all sorts of weird sour stuff and um, other things like that. So today I'm, I'm going to open one of those beers, an IPA, of course. It's a it's called Hop Hop and it's a collaboration between uh, a local brewery and a brewery from uh, Crete and it's very nice. I assume that's not actually one of the sixteen beers. I think it was in the picture. I, I mean, I, I also have a bunch of IPAs in that list, but I'm sure uh, future episodes of uh, Scudetto are going to have me coughing up my uh, guts drinking strawberry flavored beers and stuff like that. Good stuff. To be fair, yeah. I, I should say I didn't want to. I want. I I chose to drink an IPA today because I don't want to break jinx Italy in any way. So I'm sticking to what I know. Yeah, it's a match day ritual or pre-match day ritual. Yeah, uh, you will hear me talking about my sauna beer uh, with Fabian. I've just interviewed him before we came on here, but it's a, a Kuko, which is standard Finnish lager, but it's very refreshing when you come out of a sauna. So let's talk about the game. 
Um, we'll start with the Wales game. So St. Giorgio slayed the dragon in the end. What did you guys make of the game? Kenny, you want to start us off? Yeah, St. Giorgio, San Giorgio did, did slay the dragon. They, to be honest, could have gone to, to town against Wales, I feel. And I feel if they had had to do that, then they probably would have done. Uh, very impressive considering Italy made eight changes in this in this game. Uh, great to see Verratti back. And has to be said, he's given Mancini a real, real headache going into that next game. I'm not really sure how Mancini chooses between Verratti and Locatelli. Uh, in terms of the the game itself, the Wales game itself, I feel like the sending off kind of ruined it, really, because I, f- I feel like we did have a real game on. And uh, yeah, really, really impressive. As Boaz mentioned before we started recording, it's just that club ethos of, of uh, Italy all over again, just players coming in, fitting right into the system. Despite those many changes, Italy still looked great. They looked slick. Wales did very well when they went down to, to 10 men. Uh, but yeah, to be honest, from a spectator's point of view, it was, as I said, ruined a bit by that by that sending off because other than Italy being camped inside Wales' half uh, for, for the last half hour of that game, there wasn't really that much to, to kind of get our teeth into. Yeah, it was impressive, wasn't it, Boaz? And uh, we mentioned the selection dilemmas that Mancini might have. Um, I don't think Sirigu will be among those dilemmas, will he? Well, Sirigu was actually surprised himself to come on. It was kind of a, let's call it a present from Mancini, because allegedly Mancini is still upset by the fact that in the 1990 World Cup, he was an unused sub. He was an unused sub, and therefore he, uh, he decided that everyone in this squad should play. It was a nice touch, and uh, in general, like swapping eight players is uh, Italy's record in any international tournament. And uh, I guess it goes down to the fact that Italy rarely qualify by the last game of the group. It's a nice change of pace, and it's nice to be able to relax. But as Kenny said, the lads who came in were um, just as good as the players they replaced. Uh, Chiesa was particularly impressive, as is as was expected. But also Bastoni at the back seemed to. Uh, get the job done and had a really good partnership with uh, Bonucci. Of course, we have to mention the goal scorer, Piscina, Mr. Pornhub himself, who uh, <laughs> uh, sees his uh, opportunity with both hands, much like he does on uh, <laughs> certain porn sites. But, uh, sees his opportunity. <laughs> but uh, his goal was possibly a little bit uh, fortunate. I, I'm not entirely convinced this was what he meant to do possible that he wanted to kind of give it a touch because there was other players across the goal but again uh, Italy very impressive in the way they attack uh, set pieces every corner is really dangerous and Wales are a tall side so to for Italy to kind of dominate all the aerial play as well was uh, again impressive and you can only beat who's in front of you and Italy so far have done it every time yeah uh, for those of our listeners that don't know um, yeah Pacina was Photograph with some Pornhub merch. Not sure about the commercial agreement that's uh, in place <laughs> yeah. there. This um, was a couple of years ago. <laughs> and then he was sent by thanks for uh, turning up to training with a Pornhub tote bag. He was sent a load of merch. And he then proceeded to photograph this and share it on his social media saying, thank you at Pornhub. So <laughs> brand ambassador. Fair play. Can't turn down a bit of free merch, can you? Anyway, back to the football. Austria up next in the round of 16. 
and before we discuss our thoughts, uh, we let's hear from our Vienna correspondent, Fabian. So I'm here with uh, Fabian, who's a keen follower of the Austrian football team. He's agreed to come on and give us his thoughts, his scouting report ahead of Italy's clash with Austria. Uh, Fabian, welcome to Scudetto. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. And, and you're actually calling us from Austria, are you? Yes, I'm actually uh, calling you from the rooftops over Vienna. So having a wonderful evening, another tropical night in beautiful Vienna. So yeah, could be a little bit colder, but you know, that's why I had to choose. You told me to, to bring a beer, but since it's another tropical night, I actually made a spritzer. I hope that's all right as well on the podcast. That's acceptable. A civilized spritzer. Um, we normally go for the civilized <laughs> beers. I've got a, a kuko, which is um, like a, a Finnish standard lager, but it's very good when you come out of a sauna. And I'm actually recording this from a sauna. Yeah, it looks so, like uh, it. quite appropriate. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not in Finland, are you? I am in Finland, yes. Okay. I'm in Tampere. I, I live here, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about some football. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Let's just, I'll start off by just asking you kind of how the tournament's been for you as an Austrian. Because just to give the outside perspective, I think it's fair to say that maybe Austria have been a bit of a surprise. Maybe that's unfair. Um, but obviously, Shoshenko is very well known in Italy. And yeah. so there was a lot of hype about him as a manager. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure many people expected them to come through ahead of Ukraine. So, yeah. What are your thoughts on that and kind of how's the tournament been generally? First of all, it has been nerve-wracking for any Austrian to watch it because, you know, <laughs> we can never play a normal game. We always have to either don't find our rhythm or find our rhythm and make a stupid mistake. I hope I can say stupid on this podcast. I'm not sure. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> but that's how it was in, in a nutshell, nerve-wracking. Uh, Ukraine was the first game that I actually enjoyed watching against the Netherlands. It was a big mess from the beginning until the end. Um, the the game, uh, the first game, was was the first game in the European Championship where Austria actually shot, scored three goals, which is also something nice, I would say. So yes, we're the underdogs for sure. Also in the upcoming game. Um, other than that, uh, I'm a little bit disappointed in in some of the players. I think they're not playing to their full capacity. But let's hope that okay. they save the best for Italy. <laughs> yeah. Who's been disappointing then? And maybe, um, like, I mean, are you talking about Sabitzer? We've we heard a lot of hype about Sabitzer. We've not seen yes, it. Yes, Sabitzer hasn't really done much. I mean, it's fun when you look at the roster. There's, It's quite a German league-dominated roster, isn't it? And, of course, they are leading player on their teams, but they're not the best players on the teams, right? They're all playing. If you go 15 years back, we had two players in the German Bundesliga. That was uh, uh, Andreas Herzog and Toni Polster. Those were the two legends, right? And now you have almost 90% of the national team right now is playing in the German Bundesliga in the first first league in, in leading roles, but not the best, right? So what I was hoping, at least, that some of those uh, of our players would take the next step within the national team to establish themselves also towards towards their own clubs for bigger roles there as well. Um, from Kalajic, for me, I think is one of the biggest uh, disappointments. He was very good in Stuttgart. Um, he had a, a sensational record of uh, seven straight goals scored over the span of I don't know how many games, a very short short stint of time, and uh, he's pretty much uh, been absent uh, since since the already before the, the the tournament started. So I really hope that uh, he will find his rhythm. And what I would also love to see is a double double. Um, double offense together with uh, Arnautovic and, and, and Kalajic. 
So that's also something we haven't yeah. seen yet, and I hope that this will be beneficial in the in the next in the next game against Italy. Yeah, I think you'd have to be brave to play that against this Italy team. Uh, definitely very attacking. It is it is super attacking, but on the other side, you have to score a goal in order to to win the game, right? So absolutely. And I I think uh, I mean Italy is, is playing playing brilliantly. I mean that's that's the best I've seen Esquadra Azzurra play in uh, many many years. Uh, that the that the power, that the pure will, that the the willingness to go the extra mile. I think that's something that. I think Austria could learn a lot from how to turn a defensive-oriented team into such a beautiful offensive fireworks that you see there. Absolutely. Yeah, we notice in international media, maybe they don't quite get the credit for the uh, attacking fireworks that we think they deserve because, yes, they're defensively solid, but six goals in two games or, you know, seven seven in the three, it's, um, or eight in the three even. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting to watch. Um, you, you mentioned like the player that you'd, you'd been a bit disappointed in. Is there anyone else that you think we should be keeping an eye on, like in maybe a more of a positive way? Anyone that's impressed you? Who has impressed me? I mean, we always had wonderful defensive-minded uh, uh, position six players uh, like Baumgartlinger. I think those are the ones that are really doing a lot of efforts. Uh, what we also will have to see a little bit more is. Uh, well, I'm I'm very happy with that uh, Alaba took this role as a defensive anchor as well, because usually in the Austrian national team he plays midfield, and this was already changed. Uh, I think uh, in, the, in the friendly match against England that he was then playing as an interior defender, which usually he doesn't play. Even with Bayern Munich, he played the outside defender in that field. So I'm very very excited to, to see him getting a little bit more involved as well. But it's not going to be the game against Italy yeah. for sure, because. <laughs> There, he needs to be showing his strongest <laughs> game for sure. Sure, yeah, it's good to have the, I guess, the sort of experience there at the back. It's probably, um, probably the, the best place for his kind of positional knowledge and keeping everyone in check. For sure, and I think, I mean, he has a nice contract uh, coming up, uh, already agreed to in Real Madrid. So I think he also can play relatively freely after this uh, rather, well, rather advantages uh, season in, in, in Bayern, with Bayern where he it was always the discussion will he stay will he go I think he now can put his full effort into this national team and uh, you asked me about the one that I'm very pleased with on, on the other hand side I'm very disappointed with is uh, Anatovic so he plays brilliantly when he was entering against uh, Macedonia in the first game and then when he scored the goal he lets everything go out Gets banned for a game, a very important game against the Netherlands. Luckily, we made the last game, but and then in the last game again, he played quite brilliantly. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm very hopeful for. That he brings his attitude from China, and that the vodka, that the vodka business which he started will give him some wings like Red Bull, and he will be able to <laughs> catapult us to to the next uh, to the next round. But we have to keep it realistic yeah. for Austrians. This is already a big success. If you talk to Austrians, this is. This, we've never been there since 1954. Uh, you have to put this into perspective. Um, but after all, I think True. this is this is something to look out for and to build upon for the next years to come because they're all relatively young. So, so are the Italians, though. So yeah, yeah. I mean, Arnautovic definitely a kind of erratic player and perhaps a bit of an erratic character as well. He, he is. Not sure exactly what the remarks were, but obviously not too. Um, we don't know who she was. Politically up. correct. We know. I mean, I know that Alioski also didn't give him any nice greetings. I can tell you that. I think he also wished a lot to his mother. 
in, in Albanian. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, you have to be smarter as a as a as a key player in a thing when you are in the white display celebrating your goal, where everybody can read your lips. That's a little bit too much, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, let's hope yeah. that the best version of Anatovic uh, shows up and uh, that in total yeah. we find a rhythm. And then it could be quite an interesting game. Otherwise, it could also be Love Zero for Italy as well. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I wish you all the best of it. I mean, obviously, I, I kind of hope Italy win as I've been following them throughout this tournament. But um, I hope it's a good game. Um, and just a, a last question. You kind of touched on it a little bit there, but should we expect to be seeing Austria kind of going deep in international tournaments in the future? You mentioned they've got a young squad and the manager seems to have got them playing really well together. So are you hopeful for the coming tournaments? Yeah, we're hopeful. I mean, um, the World Championship qualifiers, we have to see how it goes. It didn't start that well. But I think there's a lot to build upon. And I just hope that the players that are now young playing in the German Bundesliga all those migrant workers, cheap migrant workers for the German Bundesliga from the Austrian academies that are coming, <laughs> um, that they will further develop into leading roles and really make an impact and bring that experience back to the national team. Then I'm quite hopeful. I mean, we'll never be, you know, we'll never be Germany, Italy. I mean, we will never have this tradition, but maybe there is this one generation where we can say, hey, guys, we actually have a shot at making the quarterfinals, the semifinals in that regard. Perfect. Yeah, well, we look forward to uh, meeting you again in the future then. Uh, get you back on the Scudetto pod next time as uh, something of interest to the, yeah, <laughs> um, to the Italian-speaking audience or the English-speaking Italian-following audience. Um, all right. Thanks very much for your time, Fabian. Uh, that's all. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again to Fabian for that. Um, what, what did you make of, uh, of his views of Austria's chances, Buzz? I thought it was very interesting and Fabian raised some interesting points. I was particularly uh, interested in what he had to say about Alaba because in my mind, I thought that uh, while moving him further back into the fence definitely helps uh, Austria with their solidity. It means that they lack one of their best players moving forward and uh, they they looked a bit blunt during the group stages. Um, Another thing that I quickly wanted to say before we moved on is that uh, in the 36th minute of the... Wales game, Italy went, went 1,000 minutes without conceding a goal. And of course, uh, in that match, they also uh, equalized uh, uh, Pozzo's uh, infinite record of 30 consecutive games without losing, which stretches back a long, long time ago. Of course, Mancini was quick to say that Pozzo won two World Cups while having this record and that he hasn't achieved anything yet. But it bodes really well and... Should things go as planned against Austria, that, that will be 31 wins and uh, that, that will be Italy's all-time record, which is an impressive feat for Mancini. And again, it goes back to what we've been saying all tournament and before the tournament, that uh, this Italy side behave like a club side. They have the, the camaraderie of a club side. They, the, the subs come in and do the, get the job done. So um, no disrespect to Austria, but um, my notes here say past Austria into the unknown. And uh, I think Italy should uh, should really beat Austria quite easily. And the uh, last point is that uh, these two sides met in uh, Euro 2016, where Italy won, of course. Yeah, uh, interesting point about Alaba. I guess that kind of plays into the other point he was making about being a bit disappointed in some of the attacking players. Uh, so maybe they need to step up to kind of yeah make up for the lack of Alaba further forward. Um, Kenny, just... Uh... I mean, sorry like, to interrupt uh, you. Ho- hopefully they don't step up since this is a Serie A <laughs> slash Italy podcast with all due respect. 
Fabian will be hoping. Um, but yeah, yeah, fair point. Um, Kenny, just something that we didn't, t- I didn't touch on in the interview with, with Fabian, but um, what do you think? I noticed both sides have complained, been complaining a little bit about having to play the game at Wembley, uh, sort of unnecessary for both of them to travel. What do I think about it? I, I mean, I, I tend to think that the sensible thing for UEFA to have done months ago was to um, w- w- was to basically have this competition in one country uh, during a pandemic where everyone's closing their borders. I know that Europe is now reopening a little bit, but in general, um, when they didn't know what the situation was anywhere, uh, and they knew that sort of new variants were sort of being transported across borders, and that you know there were all these quarantine ru- uh, quarantine rules, uh, it kind of made sense to me at the time that they would play it in one country. But they didn't do that. And I think once you've decided to go ahead and you've kind of named all of the, the stadiums and you've sold tickets for for the games, I mean, at the last minute to then be kind of rearranging fixtures, there will be people, especially Wembley, London is one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world, but certainly in Europe, there will be plenty, plenty of local fans uh, of these sides living in the city who will have got their hands on tickets, will be looking forward to it. I just kind of feel like if you were going to, yeah, if, if you were going to make the point that, you know, why are we going somewhere where there's a dangerous variant, then that's kind of what should have been in the thinking two months ago. I don't really think you can kind of... yeah change the rules of the game now i i understand i mean it makes sense like why are they going to a completely neutral country where there's this uh delta variant out of control but at the same time you've kind of set the rules and you've been following them strictly until now so why all of a sudden change that yeah um and uh, you'd imagine that every precaution will be taken to protect those players so yeah tend tend to agree with you there um, okay, Baz, any final points on, on this game or Italy's future in this tournament in general, or shall we move on to some Serie A chat? I think that uh, just a final point is that uh, whatever happens in this tournament after the Austria game, Italy will have uh, shown themselves for being a great side and a young side and will definitely be contenders for many tournaments to come. And with Mancini signing for the next two tournaments, uh, we are going to have a lot of fun supporting this Italy side as opposed to past editions where it was always a little bit of uh, suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to uh, avoid a little bit of suffering um, as an England and Tottenham fan. It's <laughs> nice to have at least one pursuit that doesn't involve too much suffering at the moment. Um, yeah, okay, let's talk about transfer news and we'll stick with you for this one. Boaz, uh, are you disappointed by Chalanoglu's announcement that he's going to the going to your closest rivals? I can't say I'm disappointed. Um, I think it's been... Uh, we, we have a podcast to, to prove that uh, I've never really rated the player. I've always thought that in the past season or so he was playing out of his skin, but that the football he showed in his previous three or so years at Mil- Milan were uh, what he's really capable of. It obviously stings a little bit that he's going to Inter, and especially the fact that he's going on a free transfer, but um, the Milan board made him an offer and it was supposedly the highest offer they were willing to go and he he opted to go to Inter so you know it, we'll see only time will tell if this is a a good move or not but something i have to say is that 
part of the reason Inter joined the, the Super League was because they said they were struggling with their financials and they're, by their selling players, their kind of their whole mercato is being uh, led by the need to bring some money in. So spending uh, this much money on the sal- on the salary and agent fees for a player who, um, in my mind, is not uh, an upgrade on some of their midfielders they have, namely Sensi and Barella, but also well, let's not write off Chris and Eriksson just yet. So I'm, I'm not sure it's the best purchase. And just from a football manager perspective, the guy always turns out to be 3.5 stars. So, I mean, you're not building a championship <laughs> side on 3.5 star players. Um, it, a little bit of criticism has to go to Milan for bringing this uh, this contract saga and, of course, the Donnarumma contract saga right to the end. I think um, big clubs should be securing their players a long time before the last year. And, uh, and the, for what, for me, was the MVP of this season, Kessie, is his, his contract is up for renewal at the end of this season. And... Milan will probably have the same protracted contract saga and he'll end up going to a bigger club probably. Yeah, I, I kind of, I see where, where you're coming from, Boaz, with, with uh, you know, regard to tying your your stars down and definitely that, to a certain extent, applies to, to Donnarumma, although, I mean, when Raiola is your agent, he's just trying to squeeze every every dollar that he can out of you, basically. Um, but with Chalanoglu, I mean, I guess the difference here is that Chalanoglu saw himself as, you know, a, a star that demanded wages that were, you know, much higher than a lot of other, let's be honest, better and more reliable, consistent players in the Milan squad. And Milan didn't. And I think beyond what Milan did, beyond withdrawing the contract offer, they couldn't really have done more because... He seemed to to be adamant that he wanted more out of Milan, and Milan seemed to be adamant that you know they have a, a certain valuation on him. And I just personally would would like to say that, that it's very very changed days from from last transfer summer because this summer Inter are announcing Chalanoglu with the 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 picture of the, the the river and you know him crossing from one side of Milan to the other as if this is like some major coup as if they've signed Zlatan Ibrahimovic or um, Theo Hernandez or something and I mean come on guys Chalanoglu is someone who I think has been good for Milan but he's not like first name on the team sheet by a long stretch so I mean a bit meh really as a signing and. Let's face it, Milan chose this situation. They decided not to renew him, his contract, or at the very least not to offer him higher wages. So uh, yeah. this is the situation they, they've uh, prepared for, and I'm sure uh, they'll, they will sign an appropriate uh, replacement. A little aside yeah. is that um, former um, Milan director Mirabelli has been mouthing off in the press saying that he's really happy for Hakan and that uh, this was uh, a disaster for Milan and all these things. You you have you hark back to the 2017 transfer spend where Milan spent 192 million euros on the likes of Bonucci, Andrea Silva, Conti, Kalianoglu, Lucas Bilia, Musacchio, Rodriguez, Kessi, Kalinic, Donnarumma, hit the brother, not not the good guy, and Fabio Borini. And of those 11 players, just Kessi is left. So um, Mirabelli's uh, transfer strategy has proven to be disastrous, and uh, maybe he should be a little bit more quiet. Yeah, and I, I guess the the thing is, Boaz, he's not irreplaceable. Is um, what I would what I would say. Like, it's no big deal for Milan. And maybe to conclude, um, Simone Inzaghi is known to play much like Conte with a three five two. 
And uh, Kalinoglu famously came out in the press in 2018 and said that he just couldn't play in this formation and that it didn't suit his skills. So again, it, it seems like they're, they bought a player because they could rather than to fit any specific need. We'll see how it plays out. It's a shame to see a Milan player leave like this, but it's hardly uh, a situation like the Piscina who we mentioned earlier or Locatelli who we mentioned in previous episodes where the regret now is very big. Yeah, and just while we're on the topic of uh, club's financial management, Roma's owners, the Friedkins, are apparently looking for investment partners. Uh, obviously, the solution that we suggest is that they make an Amazon documentary about uh, Jose Mourinho's <laughs> first season. Um, I don't know if anyone's got anything serious to add. No. Okay, well then, I'd like to kick off our honourables and dishonourables with... An honourable for all of the former Serie A managers that have turned down the Tottenham job over the past few weeks. And I don't think we need to say anything more about that. Uh, so, Boaz, you want to kick us off with uh, yours for, is it for Raspadori? Yeah, it, Italy youngster Giacomo Raspadori came on in the game against uh, Wales to make his tournament debut and get his second cap for Italy. But uh, curiously, he's revealed that he's currently studying for his uh, university exams. So he's kind of hitting the books during, between the games and then uh, and then getting on for the Azzurri. What a life. Yeah, and in stark contrast to that, we've also got an honourable for Arturo Vidal. <laughs> There's been some confusion with our Living La Vida Loca challenge because it's very similar <laughs> to the Morata challenge. But uh, Arturo Vidal kindly decided to pivot this award completely. And now for me, the Living La Vida Loca challenge is uh, an award for outstanding idiocy off the field. Um, <laughs> This is uh, following the fact that uh, Arturo Vidal, initially it was reported that him and a few teammates had had uh, some hookers attend their hotel rooms. Uh, It was later shown that it was actually a hairdresser, but still breaking COVID restrictions for a haircut is one of the dumbest things I've read. So the award is yours, man. I think the correct term is uh, sex workers bars, but uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Uh, definitely a mention for Vidal. No, it was a hairdresser, hairdresser. <laughs> the correct term um, is anyway, I'd like to give a dual honourable dishonourable. Uh, dishonourable to UEFA for declining the request of uh, the Munich Council, I think it was, to illuminate the Allianz Arena in rainbow cards in support of LGBTQ plus rights. Uh, but an honourable to uh, Milan and Juventus who have add, ra- added rainbow colours to their logos um, on social media in protest. Uh, Kenny. You want to give us an honourable for an, an Atalanta player for a change? Yeah, this is this is the point in the the series where I go back to my original prediction, which I should have done last season. By I think I predicted Inter to, to win the title early on and then back down. Uh, but I'm going back to the the fact that Leicester City won't be able to afford Gozens, not just because he's been linked with Barcelona now, uh, but for his outstanding man-of-the-match performance against Portugal. And I feel comfortable giving this now safe in the knowledge that Germany have actually squeaked through 2-2 against against Hungary. But yeah, I mean, what what a performance. Uh, an incredible, incredible athletic goal disallowed, uh, basically responsible. I don't think it was a direct assist, actually, but responsible for, for another goal. And then scored one himself, walked off with the, the man-of-the-match. And basically, two fingers to Cristiano Ronaldo for that heartbreak moment that he revealed in his autobiography, where uh, he was absolutely uh, dismissed by Ronaldo when he asked for his shirt. So, yeah, maybe Cristiano Ronaldo will be looking for a, a Gozan's shirt to be adding to his 
prized collection in the the years of his retirement, which uh, presumably aren't too far away. Yeah, that is lovely stuff, isn't it? Um, Buzz, you've got an honourable for us. Legendary manager Zenek Zeman of uh, Roma and Lazio fame uh, returns to Foggia for his uh, third stint there. This is where he initially made his name with the Beppe Signori as his striker and uh, generally played some fantastic football and brought them up to the Serie A. And uh, they're now in Serie C and him going back there is uh, very rom- romantic. Yeah, um, and I'm taking over Kenny's job this week to give a goals honourable. Uh, well, it's a special goals honourable though because it's for Ivan Perisic. This is one I couldn't give. Yeah, we got a goal and an assist in the Croatia's 3-1 victory over Scotland. Um, which is something only three other men have done since 1980. So he's only the fourth player to get a goal and an assist in the same game since 1980, when the European Championships were introduced. Uh, Number one on that list is Ronaldo, who's done it five times, which yeah, kind of undercuts the stat a bit, but still, honourable for Perisic. Uh, Boaz, you want to finish us off? Yeah, I think we should give an honourable mention to uh, Hungary coach Marco Rossi, who... um, has uh first of all he qualified hungary for this tournament which is an achievement per se but also the result against germany tonight which unfortunately did not see them qualify but also the result against france in the previous game showed that they were not uh the usual squadra materasso as they would say in italy but a little bit of trivia that i wanted to give about him is that uh in fifa 97 bizarrely he was the strongest rated player in the whole game playing for sampdoria back then um so there you have it. Uh, congrats to Marco Rossi. Thanks very much for that, Boaz. And uh, thank you, listener, because that's all we've got time for this week. If you don't already, please do subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. Um, we'll speak to you soon. Until then, enjoy the Euros. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.